Welcome to Season 12 of the Art of Teaching podcast. I'm Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. This next conversation is with the brilliant Matt Pittman. Matt is a middle school manager and doctoral student researching connections across school communities. This was a fascinating conversation in which we talked about leadership, knowing when to quit, and how to build meaningful, authentic schools. I hope that you get as much out of this wide-ranging discussion as I did. Please enjoy. Pittman, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks so much for spending the time with me today. Where about you phoning in from? Uh, in from Melbourne today. Sunny Melbourne yeah, today, rainy Melbourne. Home. Yeah. No, sunny, beautiful actually. We've just been up in New South Wales with the family, so the weather's followed us back down for a change. Nice one, nice. And uh, my understanding is that Melbourne, Melbourne is ahead in many ways in education, um, ahead of New South Wales. But you guys finished a week earlier for your holidays. Yeah, yeah, we're halfway through at the minute, so good to have another week. But sad to see the last one gone already. Nice one, um, big term. Yeah. yeah, and we'll uh, we'll get into that in a moment. But before we get started, uh, quite possibly the most important question is: What's your coffee order when we can finally catch up? Um, I'm lactose intolerant, so my coffee order is soy latte if we're out and about. Um, but it's just a long black if I'm at home. Don't tend to mess around. It's fuel more than it is uh, for enjoyment. But out, it's always soy latte. Nice. Um, is there a book that you've read recently? It could be within your kind of sphere of expertise in education, or it could be more broadly uh, that has caused you to kind of stop and reconsider a few things in your life. Yeah, I recently read Quit by Annie Duke. Um, yeah. And it really, like, I, it was one of those books I almost wanted to pick up and go again. Yeah. Um, you know, just this, this idea of quitting is such a negative, a, a negative thing in our society, yet um, to persevere doesn't always lead to a win. And I think that that just really resonated with me. Um, and in the way it pulled apart the winning culture. Um, and, and, you know, as teachers, we're constantly kind of, you know, perhaps not on purpose, but we're perpetuating that winning culture yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, it's, you know, this to, in a really accessible um, and engaging kind of way, it, the book just said it's all right to stop short of a goal if, you um, you know, if the circumstances have changed yeah. and it's not going yeah. to take you in the right direction. And I just thought that's exactly what we need at the minute. This, you know, this is the kind of book that's, you know, our students should be reading. 
Um, we're not we're not quitting good. We're we're quitting something that's not working, rather than just blindly sticking to it. I thought that was pretty powerful. And is there something that uh, you probably should have quitted a long time ago that you've quitted as a result of reading this book? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's my job to fire those questions at you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think yeah. so. I don't think I've ever really been so strong-minded, you know, like stuck on something that I've run it into the ground. Yeah. But I can see how easily you can fall into that space. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's difficult, isn't it, to to kind of know when to quit because is it a case of, and, and I haven't read the book, but I have heard of it and I, and I will be uh, downloading a copy after we have this conversation. <laughs> um, uh, but I'm assuming uh, it, it talks about how to know when to quit because the difference between like pushing through something and persevering and then also knowing when, no, this is actually a no here or a closed door or did the book unpack that about how to actually know when is the yeah when to push through and when to just call it a day yeah it definitely does it's I guess it's but it's a hard thing to call without your sort of context so I think right. like it. what it what it kind of maps out is that when you know all of the odds are starting to stack up against you, you know, pushing through, um, it's going to lead to diminishing returns mm. most likely. So is is it worth coming back to it next year? I think the one of the best kind of ways it's explained is the climbers who spend thousands of dollars trying to get to the peak of Everest, you know, and then there'll be those who get to that one day, the client, you know, the summit window, and they'll see the conditions coming in. They haven't moved as quickly as they need to. And they'll go, all right, despite the months of trying to get here, we're going to call it and return back, you know, mm -hmm. safe and alive mm. versus those who pursue that goal no matter what. Yeah. And and yeah. things don't, you know, and they end up not in their favor and i think yeah. like that's an extreme example but i think at school we are pushing our students to persevere despite you know how they might be feeling about it how their mental health is going how you know yeah. especially now we're approaching exams for our senior students i just think some of these lessons could be incorporated mm. um into our practice probably a little bit more than, yeah. than what we what we do at the minute i think the um the role of ego is really important. Uh, the question that I kind of ask myself quite often is how much of this decision is based on my ego? Um, and it's okay, yeah. we all have an ego. That's not a problem. But I think if the, uh, if the percentage is kind of head north of 50% of this decision is an ego decision, then maybe that's a, a, a time to kind of call yourself into check. But I also know that, um, I, I mean, I recently... Um, I, I I love long distance running. Um, I always have, uh, and I um, we just had the Sydney Marathon up in um, uh, in Sydney. It would make sense. Uh, yeah. And I trained for this thing as I do every year for sixteen years. I was really excited to go, and I I pulled a muscle actually in my neck um, and my back a few days before. Terrible timing, um, but I really really wanted to run. I really did. 
And I called all my friends. I'd even, uh, my wife works for a publication. I wrote an article about how excited I was to run in this (laughs) Sydney marathon, you know, and all these lessons. And, and my ego was, was, was going pretty hard. And I actually had to make the call on the Sunday morning of the marathon, not to run because I need, I'm learning to the difference between perseverance and knowing when to quit. Um, and, I was standing at that start line in my Birkenstocks, ready to cheer on my friends on the sidelines. Um, and I thought I could have done this, could have done it. But I tell yeah. you what, I'm so glad I didn't. I'm so glad I took that time to say, you know what? This is ego telling me to run here. What I need to do is just take a bit of time out, rest, learn how to recover. Um, sorry to go off on that tangent of marathon running, but I, it's been an interesting lesson that I've had to learn even this week is when do you actually have to go? You know what? my pride needs to be kept in check here and I need to stop doing this. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Well, I, think, and I think that's like a lot of change initiatives at schools. It's much mm-hmm. the same. Mm, absolutely. Great point. Being so deep into something that you've been assigned, it's in your portfolio, you're, and you're just watching it not quite get to where it needs to be. Like, yeah. is it worth, and I think most of the time we do, we go, well, no, it's assigned to us. We need to make this work and try and make it fit um, rather than, you know, maybe stepping back, pull it apart, take the bits that are working and build something new. Yeah. Yeah. It's dif- it's difficult, isn't it? And we'll we'll get into that a little bit later, but it is difficult to, to step back from a project or step back from an, initi- an initiative and say, okay, what do I need to do here? Because I don't know if you're like me, you probably are probably a little bit obsessed or you have a a, a, a mm-hmm. tendency to uh, to really want to do your best, which is not a bad thing, but quitting is not an indication that you have done the wrong thing. It's an indication of maybe there could be a better way of doing this. Um, and yeah. it's funny, isn't it? It's very, yeah. easy to, it's very easy to commit to these things in staff meetings or at a conference um, and then just roll out another program without actually thinking, our circumstances have changed here. We need a different approach. Um, and so uh, yep. looks like uh, that book is on my uh, reading list. So I appreciate that. I uh, appreciate that very much, mate. But uh, Matt, I was just wondering, um, what was your um, what was your upbringing like and what are you most grateful for uh, to your family? How did you get to kind of where you are today? Yeah. Um, well, I have two brothers. So my upbringing was just a lot of running around. We were just constantly on the move. We were kicking the footy or in the backyard or running around the streets. I think, you know, I look back and I I don't know how my parents did it. You know, we were just so dynamic. And I think that that's, that's what I remember is just never being still. And we were hanging out. Like we had our friends and we were, but it was a pretty close-knit family. Um yeah, so I think I think the biggest thing was it was just really supportive. Um, you know, there was a lot of guidance, but it was never showing the way. It was you make the decision, you go and do this, but know that, you know, we, we have your back and we will support you. But, um, you know, if, if things don't quite work out, we're going to have to deal with that together as well. And I think that support... And really kind of probably, um, I haven't thought about it too much, but it probably shepherded me towards this career, I think. 
you know, in trying to create that for other students as well. We've certainly worked with students who don't have that kind of that, you know, that background that I've been fortunate to have. And so being able to provide that support and that guidance without being, you know, the helicopter or the lawnmower or, you know, whatever the um the parenting style is that's in the papers at the minute yeah um but yeah three boys so I think it was tough work and they're they're really patient people and I think that's probably that's probably what I'm most grateful for is just that being able to see that every day and then try and put that into practice myself yeah love that and and I'm sure that as you mentioned has really influenced your approach to teaching um and and kind of on that on that vein Matt is was there a teacher that really made a difference in your life? Um, someone that kind of guided you towards this profession or are you uh, surprised that you ended up back in the classroom? Um, I think sometimes I am surprised. Yeah. I think I, I think all teachers sort of have days where they look back and they go, how did I end up totally. I in, in I this would, position? I, yeah. But I, I think it was, I had no idea or no, maybe that's not true. I had about four ideas of what I wanted to do um, coming out of year 11. And so I only had one year. And I think it probably stressed my, you know, my coordinator and my parents out probably a little bit. They wouldn't have said it, but it would have because um, I just kept jumping between things. And then I had a PE health teacher, um, Mr. Duke, and he just the way he ran his classroom it's you know I think it's it'd be really reductive to say he made it really engaging there was just something about the way he approached just running his classroom and it it felt like it extended out of you know what we were learning and what in the curriculum and um it just felt like the impact of that class sort of left a bit of a mark I guess and then from there I thought this is I like running around I'm active all the time I love sport you know maybe this is something maybe I could be that person yeah you know who makes school a different kind of environment um and just and doesn't just make it fun but it makes it real and I think that's what he did and so I made the change sort of right at the start of year 12 which, you know, and I changed a few subjects and jumped around and then worked towards um, going into teaching. Nice. And and have you had a chance to thank Mr. Duke? No, I have um, no idea where he is. Maybe he's going to listen. Look, I, I, I hope so. And, and, and look, I, I far from me to, to, to tell you what to do, but... Um, I would encourage you to try and do that. Like I, I had the absolute privilege of interviewing a teacher um, who really changed my life, and and um, uh, on the podcast, a lady called uh, Beth Taylor Jones. I still, I still can't call her Beth. It has to be Mrs. Taylor Jones. Um, <laughs> but I, um, I went to school in this re- really kind of provincial town, beautiful town called Belper near Nottingham in England, and. Um, we were going through a really messy family situation. I was in year three and and I just knew that every time I walked in her class that I was valued and heard and all of that kind of stuff. And 
we've actually got a Facebook group now with all of the students from her class that have got together and we just tell stories of this teacher. And it for me, it, okay. it amazed me because I thought I was special because I thought I was the only one that she was doing that to. But yet she yeah. somehow built this classroom that was just this wonderful learning environment. And I felt like the most important person in her classroom. And she probably had 36 others. Um, yeah. But the, the, the strange thing, and it may be the same with, with your experience with Mr. Duke, is that I have no idea what this teacher taught me. Like there would have been some yeah. fractions, there would have been some, probably some writing in there, a bit of maths, a bit of PE, uh, but I had no idea the content in which she taught me. And um, but I remember how I felt when I entered her classroom. And yeah. I um I don't know, was that the, is that the same with you with Mr. Duke? Do you I'm sure you he sure he taught you something, but um did you yeah. how did it make you feel when you walked in there? Because everyone no matter the interesting thing, Matt, and sorry to cut you off, the interesting thing with this is that whoever I speak to, whether it be these kind of world-renowned academics or these um, amazing teachers like yourself there's always a story about a teacher that changed their life and no one ever comments on the content that they were taught so sorry to sorry to cut you off but is that the same with you with Mr Duke oh it's I mean I was when you mentioned that I was just trying to think and I I, I think I could guess because I've taught it myself now yeah like what we probably covered but it's a hundred percent correct I can't remember yeah. any specific thing that we covered I mean apart from knowing it was PE assuming like that we were covering some of the things that we still cover but yeah but, no it's just, it's just what he did outside of he just, like he just wasn't you don't walk in and he wasn't the teacher at the front of the room like it was yeah. a little bit more collaborative and a bit more it was it was an experience I think I that's the only way I that's how I remember it Love it that. was just different. Yeah. And is that an experience that was shared amongst other students, do you think? Or, and like me, were you completely unaware of the impact he was having on other kids' lives? <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd hope so. Yeah. Um, I don't know of anyone who completely changed kind of their career direction because of it. But I do know that, you know, learning later on that he you know, would take in a student who was, you know, struggling or, you know, look after them, you know, mm. get them fed or whatever it is. Like there was these little things that are external to kind of, yeah. like it was there, I guess. And it's, and that. you just, you're, you're in your own world as a student, you walk in the room, you've got your own priorities, but yeah. yeah, I hope so. I hope there's people talking about him everywhere. Amazing. Well, Mr. Duke, if you're listening, uh, if you're not listening, you should, uh, because one of your former students is talking <laughs> about how you've changed their lives. Um, but it just goes to show, doesn't it, the power of education to really make a difference. And I think when I when I explain this to Mrs. Taylor Jones, um, I actually I've been back regularly. My mum lives next door to the school still over in England, um, and uh, yeah. I. I met up with it with my wife a number of years ago, it would have been probably 10, 15 years ago now, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, and I just gave her this big hug and I started crying and there's like snot everywhere. And it was just awful. Like, <laughs> and my wife, when we left said, that wasn't cool. You probably shouldn't do that again. But I think what it highlighted was just the incredible impact that these teachers have on our lives. And there are so many unsung heroes that will never write books. They will never do a PhD. They will never take on leadership positions they will never do this mm. this this 
but they are these unsung heroes that are in classrooms creating these wonderful environments for students to learn. And um, I think there's just so many stories of teachers that have changed people's lives. It's really, um, really interesting. And uh, sadly, there's also teachers that have had negative impact on, on, on students. And I think the thing that I always say to my team is that there's, there's no such thing as a throwaway comment. There's no such thing mm -hmm. as a, we shouldn't be rolling our eyes. We shouldn't be making off the cuff comments because the power that we hold as educators is really, um, it's an incredible privilege to get to do what we do and shape the minds of young mm -hmm. people. And um, yeah, Matt, Matt, I was just wondering if um, you wouldn't mind maybe talking about kind of your, um, a career in education. It seems so weird saying the word career in education because no one goes into it for that. But tell me kind of about um, how you got to where you are today and what what does your job involve at the moment? Yeah. Um, well, following on from year 12, I actually I did a gap year at, um, at a boarding school in Surrey. Right. Um, and I guess it, it was my... So I worked in the boarding house for the year and I it was my test of whether I could be with kids yes. for <laughs> yeah, hours on end. And and I think like the boarding school just added a whole new dimension to it because you know every second week you would be on call and they would ring the bell and you'd so you wouldn't just be between you know 8 30 and five o'clock or whatever it is. Like you were some nights you were on call the whole night and it's and but it didn't ring very often but every time it did like I was so happy to get up and and help right and I think that's for that experience of being in that school and it was quite a, a very well-off school I know you have lots of friends who've had different experiences but you know just when I knew that at any time of the day I'd be willing to help you know, a young person, I thought this is the job then, you know, it wasn't just my experience in year 12. Um, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And so from there into uni and I started at my first school in 2012. Um, it was in the Catholic system. It was in, um, in Melton in the Western suburbs of Melbourne. Um, a pretty interesting, really diverse mix of, of kids and staff and, the school was in a growth period. It was going from year seven to year 10 up wow. to year seven to year 12. And so it was just everything sort of came together really quickly and it provided me with just a lot of early leadership experience that I probably wouldn't have got in an inner city school. Yeah. So I was quite lucky in in that regard. But um from there, I moved to a senior secondary school, which was kind of in the same federation of schools. Yeah. Um, again, a different experience being a leader in a school that was only the final two years, which is, you know, high stress all the time. It's a lot of expectations on students and families. And so there's different conversations and building up the communication skills with with, you know, families that were coming from South Sudan and Syria and um, you know, helping them to understand the school just as much as, you know, the kids who live around the corner. That was really valuable. Um, and then since 2020, I've been in the government system at a couple of schools. Um, yeah, so I made the, I, my first roles were in curriculum. 
I was the head of health and PE. And then after that, I ran outdoor ed programs. And um, then I made the shift into more across to student well-being. And I think I think it's the umbrella term is student management, which I don't particularly like, but you know, the year level coordinators and the house leaders, and um, and that's where I'm at at the moment. I um, help um, support the middle school yeah. um, in my current role. So at eights and nines. So just when they're starting to find their independence and yeah. be quite vocal about how independent they want to be, they're pretty great kids. Yeah. And so... Um... What are some of the things that you think that students in that age bracket need? What are some of those kind of unique um, things that those kids require in order to be successful at school? Big question, sorry. No, no. I, I, I think they need a lot of guidance, but the catch with middle school students is that they need to be, they need to feel like they're not being guided. Mm. And so it's a really hard balance of providing kind of the bumpers, I guess, so that they can keep themselves in the lane. And then, you know, I don't know why I'm thinking 10 pin bowling, but it's it's working. Um, but I think, yeah, like, so again, it's, it's I suppose it's an, a lot of lessons from my parents, like providing guidance from arm's reach so that you can obviously jump in and support when you need to but you're far enough away that the students feel like they're being really independent yeah um because i think if you are too controlling and you try to manage them i mean it's you're preparing yourself for a long afternoon of conversations and phone calls and all of that yeah and if you're too relaxed then the kids run the school yeah Um, yeah so it's a balance between providing every opportunity for them, but not every option sort of on the journey. Yeah. So it's yeah. like multiple forks in the road and you say, here's what I think you should take. Yeah. But go for it and I'll be with you the whole way. And for those people that are, are listening that are um relatively new to leadership roles or, or would like to be in a leadership role. Um, do you have any advice on how you kind of manage your own mental health and well-being? Because I would imagine that it would be, I oh know, sorry, from when I first started in a role a number of years ago, like I I almost burnt out because I was on 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. I kind of had this um I wanted to project a certain image of a leader, which I'd read about in books probably from the 80s. Um, I wanted to be this, you know what I mean, like this kind of manager. Yeah. Um, but I've learned, I, I guess that's a long way of asking, like, like how do you kind of protect yourself and protect your time and make sure that you are, um, to use our marathon analogy again, that you're actually in this for the long run, uh, the long haul, not just yeah. on a short sprint. How do you do that or do you have any thoughts on that? I think you... I think it's one of the big shifts that I've seen in leadership. Yeah. And it's it's that you that everything is a team effort. Mm. I don't think that there are individual leaders without some kind of support network around them. And so I think yeah. like the things that worked early for me were forcing yourself to sit down and receive feedback. 
Yeah. Um, I think we're really bad as a profession, I think, of we have our, you know, reviews every year and um, we're really good at formal feedback and we're great at giving feedback to students, but we're not especially great at doing it amongst ourselves. And I think so my advice and something that it took me a little while to come to was to be comfortable with being really uncomfortable um, in a feedback space and, and ask somebody, you know, your direct report, whoever it might be, ask them for five minutes. And if they're truly there to support you, they'll do it. Mm. Um, and then just getting really to the point and just saying, look, what's, what is, what do I need to work on? Like what's yeah. not happening here? And then asking them to help you get there. Yeah. And I think sometimes poor communication is what sends me home feeling really drained. Mm. Um, if I feel like I've done something alone, most of the time because I have done it, because I haven't sought any support. Um, but I think it's just use the team around you. Um, debriefs are so important. Like I yeah. think in a good team, you sit at the end of the day and you might be frustrated and upset, but it usually ends in laughter because teaching is ridiculous sometimes. The yeah. things that happen, the phone calls you have, the behaviour you have to deal with sometimes, you know, young people are so unpredictable. And, um, yeah, I think the debrief. So finding out what you can improve on and having a goal helps you get through the rough times, okay. I think, for me anyway. Um, but it also engages you in that sort of mentor-mentee relationship with your with the people around you. Yeah. Um, I, and I, being vulnerable like, yeah. in front of people helps. Matt, I'm so grateful that there has been a real, I think, change in um, what a leader is. You know, I think we've moved mm. a, a really long way away from that kind of male-dominated white CEO kind of dictator. And I love that now that leadership is a lot more um, focused on sort of service. And one of the things I really try to do with my team is just give them the opportunity to give me, like, brutal feedback. Mm. Uh, and I found that that's really helped us to be able to build that culture. So I'll, we obviously have to do our professional development goals and all that kind of stuff, but I actually get them to come in and give me feedback and say, how hey, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done that in that lesson or like I would have <laughs> tried doing this differently. And, and also we have, um, or I have QR codes next to my office. And so at any point, um, a student, we're at, at a one-for-one -one iPad school. So they've all got iPads we're walking around with them. So at any point they can scan this, um, QR code the students and go straight to this place to give Mr. Green feedback. And the feedback is things like, um, he listened to me today. I felt valued. I felt heard. And quite often the feedback's brutal if they've been in trouble. Um, but also don't ask for feedback if you don't want feedback. And I also do the same yeah. with my team. I encourage them to, to be really honest. And so I think modeling that culture of continuous feedback is um is really important because as i always say to my team like i'm just i'm learning as well and i am a completely different teacher and school leader to what i was even at the beginning of this year and things change all the time and so um yeah i think that's i think it's really important to kind of build those cohesive teams where people feel as if they can be honest um yeah. it's not as 
it's not as easy to do as I thought it was, but it is, uh, yeah, I think it's really, really important. So, um, so Matt, what is your doctoral research about and how on earth do you find the time to do that? Yeah, that's something my wife is constantly <laughs> Great discussing yeah. with me um, and people at work are always asking. Um, my work through the Doctor of Education is on connection. Um, so I'm looking at whole school connection in particular at the moment. Um, this week I've been working on a bit of an instrument to survey Year 7s on on their connection um, during transition, which I think is, you know, when you have your a new group coming into, and it's based in secondary schools because that's my context, but you have a new sh- group of students coming in, that's when you really find out, mm. you know, whether school community is connected or you know and you're setting them up for the next potentially six years yeah um six pretty important years as well but um yeah so it's about what are we like a lot of the research i've found so far suggests a whole heap of directions and um and suggestions and and things that are essential to be connected and i just think that we don't follow through on that at school That's we right. assume connection rather than just because they're wearing a uniform or they're attending the same place or you right. know there's a sausage sizzle or there's you know a free yeah. dress day or we're very like event focused in our trying to build community and build that school connection um or it's very circumstantial you know it's a big big coincidence that a student happens to be sitting next to another student in year seven most of the time like parents will pick the school or the student might just go to the school their siblings went to like there's a lot of yeah wow you know 26 students don't get together and all go let's go together and we'll be in 7a or whatever it is and so you're bringing a whole heap of different people together and then assuming that because they're all dressed similar and they're going to follow the same rules and they're going to play in the same areas that they're going to eventually feel like they have a sense of belonging in your school. Mm. And that's just not how it works. Interesting. And so my studies on trying to put something together that can help guide schools to make it as important as academics yeah. Um, because if a student feels like they want to be at school and they are supported and and they have that sense of belonging and they have purpose, then they'll be so true. They'll, they'll perform at a higher level, you know, for themselves. And yeah. I think that's what most of the change initiatives in schools—they're all something that could contribute to the end goal, which is outcomes. Love that because it's what everything is focused on. Um, but we're not willing to commit to getting there because we're too busy worrying about the outcomes. Mm. And so yeah, wow. Yeah, that's my that's my research at the minute. And uh how far along are you? Are you just in the process of gathering all of that or, or yeah, how much how close are you to submitting that final thesis? Um, I'm hoping it will be submitted in 2025. So I'm right. putting I've got Half of what I've got is complete. Half of it is in various levels of completion. Yeah, just yeah. words on a page somewhere in in a document. 
my wife is doing her PhD at the moment and I was considering doing mine until I saw her doing hers. And so <laughs> I think I may leave it a little while. And um, I, I I will uh, send you the contact details of a, someone I actually just interviewed before talking to you, a guy called Dr. Mark Williams. Okay. Um, and he um, just wrote a brilliant book. I've got it here. I was just reading it called The Connected Species. And he was talking, he's a neuroscience um, a professor and talks about connection in schools essentially and how important it is to um, to be building these cohesive communities and also how you measure connection using like ECGs and all of this kind of stuff. It's very um, technical and research driven. Yeah. But I, I have never read a book that I have highlighted and shouted yes, absolutely so many times <laughs> than I have with his work. So that might be a an interesting connection for you there. <laughs> um, but um, it sounds really, really um, fascinating that the, um, the research that you're doing and also incredibly important, especially considering mm. what you've been through and of what, Victoria has been through with the uh, with the lockdowns with uh, COVID nineteen, so it seems yeah. uh, extremely topical. Um, another question: um, What on earth is a Lego Serious Play certified facilitator? It sounds like the best professional learning oh, you can it, do. So tell me about this because I'm I'm considering uh, doing it myself. I think everyone should, and like you're 100 percent correct. I, it's the best two days of pd i've ever had just playing with lego um, how good's that it's yeah and it, not really i shouldn't say that <laughs> no no but it like yeah. so much of it is and it's this method that was in-house at lego for a, a long time and it was what they used to help their team build strategy and vision and um you know of course it's lego so there has to be lego involved um and now it's just it's something that a lot of like businesses like Google and mm. you know, these huge, huge organizations are using it to help their teams collaborate and, Love um, you know, put together cohesive visions. Mm. Um, and so it's just basically it's Lego goes in the middle of the table and then as the facilitator, instead of post-its post going, you know, and write your ideas and they go on the wall and which is all fine and there's definitely places for it, but it's, if we, if you, you know, build me what you think is um, an important capability that a leader should have, and then you discuss your model Amazing. to Amazing. everyone in the group, and then in, at the end you have a whole table of you can see what people are thinking, what they're feeling, um, because feelings are very hard to put into words. So we work in education, we're constantly dealing with. Mm emotions and things that are hard to discuss like so putting them on the table um and breaking down some of the i guess people people walk into pd and they know they don't want to get up and do role plays they don't want to be questioned they don't want to provide answers you know or put on the spot everyone's just building with lego and it just kind of removes that so it's one of the best things i've ever done and i ran a session at my school with the leadership team, they were putting together the strategic plan. And, you know, they had all these ideas, like awesome ideas on butcher's paper. And um, and I said, well, let's deconstruct this and then reconstruct it in Lego. And it was, and it was awesome. They sat there and the ideas that are put on the table, 
you know, like a shark doesn't have to be a shark or, you know, it could be just like a really difficult problem or something, you know, like yeah. it's, and so it's a lot of metaphor, um, but it's just, it's just a, a method of breaking down that barrier and getting down to what is really important by distracting people with, you know, something that was pretty important to me when I was a kid. I was yeah. in the Lego all the time. I, I, that's it, it just sounded amazing. Oh, it sounds amazing. And I, I'm definitely going to um, do it. Uh, and one of my favourite interviews I've ever done was with a gentleman called Bo Stern Thompson, who is the director of Lego Through Play, yeah. the Lego Foundation. Sorry, Lego Foundation. And I was having this conversation with him and it absolutely blew my mind how something which is, I mean, Lego is so, I grew up, I went to Legoland Denmark and I grew up having Lego everywhere. My kids, I mean, our house is full of Lego. And it was, it's such a, it's a tool that everyone has such a close affiliation with, but to see that used in a professional setting, I think was really incredible. And to hear this man talk about some of the professional learning they're doing through Lego was um, phenomenal. I would definitely go for a job with the Lego Foundation. Oh, 100%. Mate, I'll see, I'll see you at the interview. I might. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Uh, but uh, no, it's, it sounds great. But um, yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've currently got the, um, uh, the Lego series play facilitator website page up. So uh, I think I might sign up after we have this chat. It's amazing. It really is. Like, yeah. um, and it's something now that I want to find a way to use more. Yeah. And I don't remember a lot of PD where I've been obsessively looking. I love that. To put it together. Like a lot of it is is valuable. But I'm looking outside of school and in other applications. And so that that kind of learning is that's, you know, mm. that's why I keep doing study at, at uni and things like something catch me. And yeah, it's what keeps me as going as a teacher, I think, as well. It's just Love this that. idea that I can learn something from, you know, what I'm doing. And, and I think I think that um, that says so much about how you stay curious because there's a, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would be in your position that have had your experience but are not excited anymore about the prospect of stepping into a classroom or don't have this sense of as I do this sense of wonder when you think about all of the possibilities that are in front of you in terms of how we design great schools how we design interconnected curriculum how we build teams and and what I'm starting to see. Um, I've been doing a leadership role for a while, though, as I'm starting to see these threads and these the ways that um, uh, we can learn from so many different industries and draw in research and draw in ideas from areas that I thought were completely unrelated to education. And I'm, I'm starting to view our job as so much more broad and so much more diverse than I think I ever imagined before. And so um, it really is the best job in the world. I can't believe I get paid to. <laughs> have these types of conversations with kids it's an incredible um it's an incredible privilege and um yeah it's a real real blessing to get to do it i can't I, i'm sport for anything else i don't know how people do office jobs i just don't yeah no i agree I it's the i think the thing that drives me the most well at the minute is the learning that happens outside of the lesson mm -hmm. 
Mm, yeah. Just the really obscure, really funny lessons that you can, you know, run through with, with a, a student. Um, I had a student who was very impatient and so we were in a portable. So he removed the window to dive through and let everyone in the classroom. And when I saw his legs going through at a distance through the window, I just thought this is so exciting because now I'm going to have this conversation and we're going to break down his decision, his decisions, you know, in that process of I can't wait two more minutes, like I'm getting in and, you know, and what the end goal was for him. And, and, and that sort of stuff is very exciting to me. And again, like students, just, like young people are so random. Yeah, they're so random and so exciting. And I, I think I don't know how people get bored in this job. Like it's a tough one, but I mean, yeah. I think you've got to, um, like there's just this sense of wonder and there's so much change, I think, happening. I'm, I'm speaking from a New South Wales point of view, but so many conversations I think that are happening around the roles of schools mm. what do they look like what's their purpose what is leadership all about and i think it's a really wonderful time to be involved in a profession like this and i don't know about you but i feel like i change i change dramatically every couple of years as an educator and as a person but also even every year like i look back at the beginning of this year and i think geez i wouldn't do that again or yeah. Geez, yeah, I've invested more into that. And I think that whole idea of being a self-reflective leader is is really important. And that comes back to your point before about the importance of connection and feedback and allowing ourselves to grow because we we expect that from our students. And there's we're just mm. big kids. We're just big kids that are trying to work out what on earth is going on. But um and Matt, I was just wondering, and, and I do want to be respectful of your time, and I, I would love to um at some point do a round two and do a bit of a deeper dive in some of these conversations that we've had. But um, just as we begin to start to wrap up, um, how do you define leadership now? And do you think it's something that has maybe shifted or changed for you a little bit? Um, Yeah, I think it has changed. I think as because I was in, in the position of jumping into leadership quite early, yeah. You know, and, yeah. And straight into, you know, a, as a curriculum lead, like in a pretty prominent middle leader position as yeah. a, you know, the end of my second year, I really saw it as my job to be the decision maker mm. and, and to and to manage yeah. this group of, and I mean, like uh, PE staff are the best. Like, <laughs> I And I, like they're the best teams to work in um but they're also like as as somebody who came in quite young ready like thinking i had to control them it was really really difficult yeah um and so i think across the journey it's been really clear to me that you know when you're managing something that's when you're trying to control it whereas leadership right. is about right. empowering the people in the room with you yeah, wow. Big difference. Yeah. And so I think that's that's been a big shift for me. I think it's instead of coming in with the answers, it's leading with, well, how would you approach this? You know, and then and following it up with questions. And I think something I'm trying to do a lot at the minute is look for PD and opportunities to build that kind of coaching skill set. 
Mm. Um, because I think that that's we are more like the coach now. I think yeah. when you're leading a team, you're trying to skill them up, you know, so that I think schools look at succession and say, well, you know, they put earmark people for certain positions as you would, like you are running an organisation. But I think as the leader, it's your job to have, you know, if you've got 15 yeah. people in your team, you've got 15 people who could take your job. You know, yeah, if being okay there. with that, yeah. Yeah, and it's somebody said to me once that you, it's not about sitting at the head of the table. It's about providing everything that is necessary for everyone to build their own table. And I think that that's, that's what it is for me. It's like how can I add value to, to these individuals and, and how can we grow together? Mm. rather than what can we do that then I can present at the next leadership meeting or whatever it is. It's yeah. team effort. So empowerment, I think, that's what leadership should be. Yeah. I think it's, we need to do more of that with the students. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more, Matt, and I, I think it kind of relates quite nicely to the conversation we had before about ego and about ro what role that plays because I think we've all seen those leaders that are there for themselves and somewhere like no one starts out like that, but somewhere along the line, you forget that like your job is to make your boss's job easier and to serve them and to help them. And, but yeah. also their job is to do the same for you. And so you create this kind of culture where we are actually in, in the work of Amy Edmondson, we're actually creating these, psychologically safe places where we can have these honest conversations where we can know each other and and I think I think there's so many lessons I've learned from being a classroom teacher that are directly related to leadership it's like you have to actually know your kids and you have to know your team you have to know when their birthdays are you have to know the names of their kids you have to know what their favorite chocolate is. You have to recognize when they're having a bad day. These are all things that we should learn as teachers for our class. Yeah. Uh, and yet as leaders, it's kind of the same thing. And we are, as I said, we are just kind of, we're just big kids, you know, yeah. we just need, we need all of the things that kids need. Um, and so I think that's, I'm, I'm very grateful that that notion, it has dramatically shifted from when I was, first starting in teaching um it's yeah, really wonderful um so matt just to be um respectful of your time if i was sitting just two final questions for you if i was sitting down with you i've just finished my um a teaching qualification i'm ready to go i'm about to step into a classroom what would be a piece of advice that you would give me um for my first year out um i think it would be um, to take time. I think most graduates come out of their first year and they cannot remember a thing because mm. it's just a blur. Yeah. And I think that there are, a, you know, we've been talking about lessons we've learned from just the start of this year because yeah. we're, over time you become more aware of what's happening around you and you're able to go, ah, this will be important later. And even if you're not acting on it now, you know, you reflect at the end of the day mm. and you say, well, that was why my lesson, like this yeah. was the pinpoint. When yeah. I did this or I didn't 
do this or I pushed through with this activity or whatever it is, that's when the lesson turned. And so it wasn't the students having a bad day. It was me just not quite doing what I needed to do to have them at their best. And I think that all comes from taking the time at the end of the day to sit and, and think about the day. Um, I think I know when I was a graduate and I've been a mentor to graduates, it's you finish a lesson, what's my next lesson? What mm. do I need to do to get ready for tomorrow? And yeah. there's very little thought on what did I do today? Mm. And so I think it would be taking time to force yourself again, like um, forcing yourself to receive feedback. You, it goes against what our sort of standard operating procedure yeah. is to yeah. stop yourself, even though you feel like if you do, you know, that two, three, five minutes, whatever it is, is could be valuable somewhere else, like reflect back on the day um, because it will help you tomorrow. And so yeah. I think take time. Absolutely. Advice. And would that be the same advice you'd give someone who is about to step into a leadership position? It's pretty good advice. Yeah, I think so. And I think I would I would add on the asking questions. Yeah. I think if we're if we're embracing the shift from control to empowerment, then you know, you can do a lot by coming into a role and asking your team, you yeah. know, for advice or yeah. asking them, you know, where what works well and what doesn't, you know, previously and and creating a safe place for it's not critique of the last leader or of practices of anyone in particular it's just how can we together make this work a little bit better amazing matt i think that is a wonderful place um to wrap up our conversation i mean we've we've talked about so many things um this afternoon and i would love at some point to get you on for round two because i think there's there's so much in that and um yeah thank you honestly thank you so much for taking the time during your school holidays to have a conversation with me. Um, my hope is that there would be teachers all over the world that would get some um, some really great things out of our discussion today. So thank you for taking the time. I truly mean that. And I hope that you get to enjoy the last week of your holidays. But thank you so much. No, thank you. Oh, look, I think these are, like uh, many of the points we've been talking about, this is one of the most valuable parts of being in our profession. Uh, is the yeah. value of just sitting down and having a chat. Yeah. I think, yeah, Don't we need to do enough. So I appreciate it. I do. No problem. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your holiday. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. And I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.